0: And I really look forward to seeing you there. That web address one last time slash AMA. Support for this podcast comes from TextKernel, where the future of recruitment meets the power of AI, helping you connect people and jobs better. Are you ready to take your talent acquisition game to the next level? Look no further than TextKernel the global leader in AI technology that helps staffing, commercial and government organisations make sense of data and find the right talent effortlessly. If you're looking to connect the right people with the right jobs, Textkernel's AI-powered software makes sourcing and matching easier than ever before. For over 22 years, TextKernel has been helping professionals like you streamline and optimise sourcing, recruitment and talent management processes. With their suite of solutions, you can easily collect and analyse workforce data, manage your talent pipeline, enhance candidate engagement and automate time-consuming tasks. From simplifying CV parsing and enriching data to intelligent job matching and labour market insights. They've got you covered. The best part? Textkernel seamlessly integrates with popular CRM and ATS platforms, such as Salesforce, Bullhorn, SAP SuccessFactors, Oracle, Talentsoft, Cornerstone and more. Saving you time and resources so you can focus on what matters most. Join the ranks of top corporate HR and staffing teams who trust TextKernel, including companies like Manpower, Netflix, and Kelly. Their AI powered technology has proven its worth in the industry. Ready to unlock recruitment success? Visit TextKernel.com. That's T E X T K E R N E L.com. And discover how their solutions can revolutionize the way you can connect people and jobs better and faster and with more confidence. There's been more of scientific
1: discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history.
0: Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 527 of the Recruiting Future podcast. The employee-employer relationship is changing. Employee engagement is at an all-time low, and countless research studies tell us that a significant proportion of the workforce is considering quitting their job. At the same time, despite the economic backdrop, many companies are struggling to get the talent they need due to significant skill shortages in some areas. So how can employers differentiate themselves to secure and retain the talent they need? A positive work culture has never been more critical, and it's a strong differentiator for the employers focusing on building one. My guest this week is Laurie Knowles, Chief Human Resources Officer at Memorial Hermann Health System. Memorial Herman has had some spectacular hiring and retention outcomes in a highly challenging talent market by focusing on their culture. In our discussion, Laurie talks us through the five levers they use to drive culture and the results they're getting. Hi Laurie and welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi Matt, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Please could you introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do.
1: Happy to. Uh, I am Lori Knowles. I am the Chief Human Resources Officer at Memorial Herman Health System. Uh, that's in Houston, Texas. Uh, Memorial Herman is a large integrated health delivery system. Uh, we have 17 hospitals, about Thirty-two thousand employees, three hundred different care delivery sites. So really large uh, in a very, very large geographic area. In my role, I've been at Memorial Hermann, gosh, almost twelve years now. But but doing uh, doing HR for a lot longer than that. And um, in my role is in human resources. uh, I know every organization is set up a little different, so. I have oversight of um, sort of the typical areas, total rewards, talent learning and development, talent acquisition. Uh, We actually have a central staffing model that's a talent float pool that we may want to get to here in a little bit. I have workforce programs, employee relations, occupational health. One thing that's interesting about uh, the HR structure at Memorial Hermann, and that is unique probably to healthcare for those of your listeners who aren't in healthcare, is that uh, chaplaincy and spiritual care report up through HR. Uh, And so that's a unique opportunity to really get a a lot of different viewpoints into sort of whole person health. And so we we feel very lucky to have that group in our HR family.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Really interesting stuff. Tell us a bit about the current challenges that are going on in the health sector.
1: Sure. Happy to. Um, Well, we all know we're we're coming out of COVID, but... Certainly, healthcare uh, was heavily, heavily influenced by COVID in the ways that many other industries were, and all of us were in terms of the disruption to our lives. But particularly in healthcare, because of um, our role in treating COVID and really being frontline uh, workers, it was particularly difficult and had some pretty long lasting impacts on the workforce. Uh, projections in healthcare. So before COVID, there was already an RN labor, a nursing shortage, if you will. There's been a nursing shortage for at least the last 15 to 20 years. But because um, many nurses left the bedside during COVID because of the stress, or they left nursing altogether, it has really exacerbated that workforce shortage so, and then in Texas, we have one of the lowest nurse per capita rates in the country. And so it's particularly difficult um, in Texas. And in Houston, we actually have the largest medical center in the world. And so we have a lot of healthcare in Houston with a lot of workforce shortages. So that's probably primarily uh, one of the challenges that healthcare faces. I think also healthcare figuring out what the right role of this workforce flexibility is, remote working, you know, you're you're not when you're a direct patient caregiver, there's no opportunity for remote work. But that doesn't mean that the expectations for flexibility and thinking about things differently is any different. And so having to be creative, I think, is, is a challenge for sure. Workforce demographics, we're all facing that. Um, in healthcare, it's exacerbated a little bit because we've got a lot of need at the entry-level position range and our a lot of the clinical schools aren't equipped to process and handle the amount of students that we would need to put through that. So really thinking through... what is a different way to think about staffing, roles, uh, skills, balancing jobs, workflows? It's really different because we cannot rely on having the uh, number of licensed clinical staff that perhaps we've had in the past. So uh, I think those those are some that are specific to healthcare. Obviously, everyone who's listening is dealing with, you know, a lot of challenges related to the social dynamics in our uh, in our world today, social justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, ESG, those kinds of things are, are always um, challenges to deal with. And then I think the biggest thing that's fundamentally shifted is this difference in employee-employer deal, if you will. Uh, and so I'm, I'm hoping we're going to talk a little bit more about that because our human capital strategy at memorial herman is heavily based in that concept
0: yeah absolutely i mean there is so much there that we could <laughs> that we could dig into we could we could be here for hours and uh it would it would all be be a fantastic conversation let's dig into let's dig into that last one as you said just before we do though tell us a little bit more about your talent acquisition structure because that sounded quite interesting
1: Sure. Yeah. So, talent acquisition um, is is made up uh, the way we're structured in talent acquisition. As as many people are, is we are very heavily job family and role based. So we have six teams that focus on specific job families uh, and you know sourcing, recruiting, just like all of your talent acquisition listeners out there. We also have what we call a central staffing pool. And so we have had this for about, gosh, almost 20 years now. And it's a pool of about a thousand people in at Memorial Herman that are supplemental or per diem and pick up shifts either on a contract basis. So maybe for six weeks or 13 weeks, but they're Memorial Herman employees. Or they pick up a shift. Maybe they work full time for someone else, but they're willing to pick up a weekend shift or, you know, a few shifts here and there, a night shift for us. And so our central staffing uh, department recruits those people, but also manages them. So works extremely closely with all of our hospitals and our care delivery sites to figure out where we have needs and how do we do how do we be strategic with just-in-time staffing? So, you know, if, if we have one hospital that is staffed to care for a certain number of patients and for whatever reason, those patients, we don't have that number of patients that day, how do we shift those employees to perhaps another area that is uh, more need, that has more needs? That group also manages all of our agency and contract staffing. So the contracts for agency workers, the bill rates, the payment mechanisms, all of that, uh, that group manages. Uh, And then the third thing I think that's interesting is we have a new what we would call an internal travel pool. So in healthcare, one of the dynamics that happened during COVID was the rise of the agency staff. So, you know, tremendous amount of dollars poured into agency contracts because hospital systems had tremendous needs that they had not had before for staff. And so prices just went through the roof for agency staffing. People left full-time employment to go chase that, you know, larger dollars. And so we really needed a strategy to help us combat that. And so we created what we call an internal travel pool that is a unique deal, I would say, with people who are willing to do that for, for a higher rate of pay. There's a lot more flexibility required. And so we've been, we've been playing with that for about a year, and it's been very, very successful for us. So that is something that, that we see as a, a real advantage and something that we plan to expand.
0: And I suppose that brings us back to that, what you were talking about in terms of that sort of changing employee-employer relationship. It, talk us through that part of things, and, you know, how you're sort of, sort of facing up with dealing with some of, these, some of these challenges.
1: Yeah. So here's the way I think about it. You know, all of us have jobs, probably. And so when we think about what do I want from my employer? Right. If I'm, if I'm looking to make a change, or maybe I'm just entering the workforce, and I think, what what is it that I want? Obviously, the first thing people think of is, well, you know, I need to make some some decent money. I need the the, the pay matters a lot, but that's not the only thing. And I think as employers, for a very long time, we focus so much on pay and benefit programs. You can't see me, but I'm I'm quoting programs. Um, that we kind of miss the mark on this idea of when I go to work it is really an experience it's an experience just like you know the, the experience I get in my family the experience I have with my friends the experience I get when I you know think about buying a car it's it's all those things that make me feel a certain way make me feel valued there there's proof points that my my voice is being heard. I can be inspired by something. It's it's something that I want to be aligned with, that aligns with my values. And I think COVID, the, the experience of COVID really brought it all to life, where we said, you know what, this is not, we, we can no longer just be the employer and ask the employee to leave their personal life at the door. We have to realize that what we are providing is an actual experience. How do we design how do we think about the moments that really matter in that experience and design and it be intentional about providing what people need in a much bigger way than we've had to do before
0: absolutely and how does that feed into things like defining culture
1: so when you think about for us uh, you know there's there's always this talk about we need to drive our culture to a certain, point, or we need to think about culture in a certain way. And for me, it, it starts with what do you want to be? Who do you want to be to your community? Who do you want to be to your staff? Who do you want to be to your leaders? And then when you pair that with your mission and your vision of your organization, your culture becomes or, or the right culture becomes pretty self-evident, right? So you can't just think about culture all by itself. It has to be tied to those things. So if you think about, you know, Memorial Hermann's, uh mission, right? So we're community-owned, um, meaning that we are nonprofit and our community owns us. So being responsive to our community is absolutely part of who we are and what we need to do. So, okay, if we want to be, responsive to our community, what does that mean? What type of culture does that mean we need to have? Well, it means you need to be transparent. It means we need to hold hold ourselves to a higher standard in terms of the care we provide. It means we need to have mechanisms to hear from our community. It means we need to support our community, have clear ways to reach into our community. And so when you start to think about culture like that, it starts to become pretty evident that there are certain levers that you can pull to drive certain things, reward certain things, and then also sort of de-emphasize others. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, that does make sense. Tell us about those levers.
1: Yeah. So um, the way we think about it, we think about it really as, as five different levers to drive culture. Uh, and I'll, I'll talk about them in order. So the first is how we hire and how we onboard, right? You want to think about who is it that you, who who is it that is going to be right for your culture, not just now, but with that vision in mind, right? If if you want to be, you know, for us, our, our service, stand, you know, we have very strong service standards and the very first one is safe. The second one is caring. The third one is personalized. The fourth one is efficient. How do you select for those things? And then if you say you want those, those characteristics and you select for that and you interview for that, and then you onboard and those tenants don't show up in your onboarding, you're saying one thing and doing something different. And I think that's the, (laughs) that's the death knell of culture, right? When you have a lot of things on a poster and then people look around and go, but that's not what you do. And so how we hire an onboard is absolutely critical. And, and we've got a lot of work happening around that.
0: A quick message from our sponsor, Winolo. Hi, everyone. I want to tell you about Winolo. That's W-O-N-O-L-O. Winolo stands for Work Now Locally. Winolo enables businesses to find quality workers for on-demand, seasonal, short-term and long-term work. Ditch the bulky paperwork and interview process and use Winolo to find quality workers fast and get work done even faster. With flexible workers and no platform fees, you can save on operating costs, meet demand and maximise earnings with ease. Winolo is available in over 100 markets, including Chicago, Dallas, Atlanta, New York and Seattle. Get workers who are ready to work and spend less time finding them with Winolo. Go to www.winolo.com slash pod. That's www.w-o-n-o-l-o.com slash pod and take the stress out of finding workers.
1: I think the other thing is, the second one is how we lead and what we teach. So if we say that, Safe, caring, personalized, and efficient are our service standards. How are we weaving that into our leadership competencies? How are we holding leaders accountable for role modeling those behaviors? What what are we um, what are we teaching in our just you know, think about leadership development courses or even huddles, daily huddles that you have in your in your teams where you want to impart information? How are you weaving those things in? And then the third one is how and what we communicate to reinforce. You know, I use this example a lot because if you say you your voice matters, right? Your voice matters. We want to hear from you. We have a culture of transparency. But you only do an annual engagement survey maybe once a year and there's really no other place for people to have their voice heard. You're not authentic. So you've got to figure out how do we if we say we want to be transparent, how do we show up and be transparent? How do we ask people for their opinions? What do we do with that information? How do we do it on daily meetings, in group settings, one-on-one? So it's carefully and and, uh, intentionally thinking about how you communicate, your forums, right? If all of your communication tools, you know, we do monthly town halls. We used to do them every week in COVID, but now we do them. If if those town halls, they have myself and our CEO and others on the call, our COO, if we didn't, let's just say we didn't enable the QA function, let's just say it was just one-way communication, what message does that send? So I, I think it's I think it's really just sort of walking the talk is, is what I'm getting at. And then obviously, how you reward and recognize, right? Are you do you have mechanisms to say, hey, I saw you being safe? Hey, You know, I really appreciate the way you personalize the experience for that family member or that fellow employee. And are you building those things in to say loud and clear, this is what good looks like. This is what we value. And so this is what we reward. But and the fifth lever is how we hold accountable. If we don't see those behaviors, we address them because you know your team, and you all know this, your your team is as strong as your weakest link. And if you as a leader or a fellow team member see that behavior, it's it's you know, it's one thing if it's skilled, right? You've got people who don't quite know how to do something yet. That's the easy part, right? I can teach you to do that. But if I say I want a caring environment and I've got a caregiver that is dismissive to a patient or a patient family. I need to be strong and courageous enough to be able to address that in real time. All those things build culture because all of those things are proof points, right? It's something an employee can look at and say, you say you want to be X, but are you? And it's just really building in, using those five levers. And, you know, other people may have three or five or whatever. But for us, these five work because we can target it back and we can evaluate ourselves as we drive our culture efforts to say, are we building in these five levers?
0: And talk to us about the, the impact of that. What kind of results are you seeing? I suppose, particularly around being able to attract talent and, and, and also crucially being able to retain talent.
1: We've had a lot of work on this over the last couple of years and so we are seeing some really very positive results. Um, I'll start on the sort of how we hire an onboard piece. Our applicant pool is incredibly diverse. And, and we mark that as a measure of success, right? For me, it's, is your message getting across? Is your reputation in the community such that you say you value everyone? Are they really applying to work with you? And so our applicant pool is very, very diverse and as in almost 80% people of color, which is very representative of our community. Again, we say we're community owned, we need to reflect what our community looks and feels like. So I would say that is a real mark. We have had 20 to 25% increase in hiring for three years running. And we hire about somewhere between 13 and 14,000 people a year. And that has, that number is up from, you know, in the past few years, 11,000, 12,000. So it's a a very high volume, Um, but being able to have that success in a challenging workforce, I think is, is really important. We also look at satisfaction. So, you know, hiring manager satisfaction, candidate satisfaction, your listeners probably do that as well. Our survey is on a five point scale. Our average response is a 4.6 on a, on a, um, five-point scale. So I feel really good about that. I also am very pleased with turnover. Our turnover is down by, gosh, more than half from where we were uh, during COVID. And so when I look at how we stack up against healthcare industry benchmarks, we're in top decile. So we're in the top 10% in the country for turnover, uh, both for all staff and nursing. So I feel really good about that. Um, And I'm a firm believer that people vote with their feet (laughs) and culture is a big driver of that. So I feel good about what turnover says about our culture efforts. And then I I also think engagement. So we do engagement surveys. We do pulse surveys, ask a lot of questions of our staff, Um, but our engagement, again, is Much much better than industry average, uh, both in healthcare and non-healthcare. And as a matter of fact, I think our uh, latest—I think we're at like seventy seventh percent. So it's not ninety five. I would love to be ninety five or higher, but I feel pretty good about that given where we are. And our leadership turnover has gone down. You know, we we have really good tenure with leaders. Uh, We have really good internal promotion rates. Uh, You know. over 40% of our leadership jobs uh, at the very first entry level get filled internally. So, you know, those are good metrics that I like to I like to look at and pay attention to that I feel are indicators of culture.
0: Absolutely. There's some very impressive numbers there. What role does technology play in all of this? How have you sort of deployed HR and recruiting technologies to, to really sort of drive the strategy for you?
1: Yeah, um, that's a really, really good point, Matt. And, you know, HR technology is moving at a pace that I think we're all a little blown away by. Um, uh, but one of the things that that we recently implemented, well, recently, almost a year ago now, I guess, was um, new AI technology in talent acquisition. Because of our volumes like so far this this year, just this fiscal year, and and we run on a July one to a June thirty fiscal year. So for us, we're almost finished with our fiscal year, but we've had over one hundred and forty five thousand applications come through. And when you think about trying to process through that level of applications, I think just by nature, there's just no way. I mean, I, I would have to have five hundred recruiters <laughs> to be able to get through that, and so. The AI technology has been great for us because when you bump the job description against the resume and the the application, our AI technology assigns a a fit score. It also stack ranks the candidates so that our recruiters know. Listen, if you know, because we have an expectation that you get to a resume or application within forty eight hours of that it's submitted. And so our recruiters know if you're, Hey, if, if, the, if there's some you need to get back to right away, these are the, these are the top 20. So that's been very helpful. The other thing that that tool is a much better CRM than we've had in the past. And it allows recruiters to launch campaigns themselves and um, allows a lot of communication back and forth between candidates, much more than we've ever had actually allowed us to get rid of some other tools, um, because there's a lot of video interviewing and texting capabilities that are there that that maybe we've had to have separate solutions for in the past. So I think in terms of efficiency, um, it's been great. It's also been proven to have no built-in bias. So, you know, there's, there is a lot of talk about whether AI technologies have some flaws in terms of unintentionally uh, inserting bias, and this particular tool doesn't. We've had it looked at separately outside from, from a legal perspective. And then we've also uh, really needing their own internal studies was an important piece in the selection. So, so I would say that we also um, recently put in um, AI and IVR uh, technology into our HR shared services team, because we get a lot of calls from employees and our wait times were not what we wanted. And so we have decreased our wait time by, 300% 300% since we put in that technology and we have a containment rate of, of 15% for that. So I think those are two examples of where we've really stepped up our use of technology in the last year and had some very, very good results.
0: Final question for you. W- what does the future look like? It's obviously been a very disruptive few years. What's your vision for the future? What, how do you think things will, will move forward from here?
1: Well, I have a lot, I have a lot, of, a lot of dreams um, for our future. Um, I believe absolutely 100% committed to our mission and, the, and the, the mission in the industry of healthcare because it's just such a meaningful place to be. And I think healthcare has turned the corner in terms of understanding that it's not just about quality outcomes. That's table stakes. Like, I mean, that is absolutely what we have to do, but it's about the experience. And so I think we've embraced that. And I'm very excited because it's we're really talking a lot about patient experience. We're talking about employee experience. We're talking about moments that matter. And when you do that, I think it just opens up the future to a world where people can feel really tied and connected to the work that they do, and they can continue to see how work enhances their life. It's not just a part of their life.
0: Laurie, thank you very much for talking to me.
1: You are very welcome.
0: My thanks to Laurie. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter, Recruiting Future Feast, and get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time, and I hope you'll join me.
1: This is my show.